Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Hope you're having a good weekend so far. I'm with you until seven this Saturday morning. After six, I'm in conversation. But first, it's the best of Steve Allen. My weekly roundup of some of the best bits from my early breakfast shows, starting with this. I had two interviews booked in yesterday. Dame Joan Collins and Professor Brian Cox. And uh, they were, yeah, they were both in. Now, the idea was because they were both to be done in different studios, on different floors. So I was waiting for one, and then they went, right, it's turned around because uh, Professor Brian is running late. So we're going to do Joan first. OK, fine. So we go upstairs to uh, one of our sister stations up there, Hart, and I use their uh, their... Extension studio. They have two studios side by side than a little little studio. So I was using what we call 4B. And so we set that all up and everybody's running late. And unfortunately, in this business, if people run late, it has the knock on effect. And they've all got interviews to do. There's a schedule. When they come into the building, there's a schedule. Joan, I've done before because uh, she's she's lovely. She's absolutely lovely. Although I did make, you'll hear it when the programme goes out this Sunday, I made a cardinal sin at the beginning without even thinking it because I wasn't feeling particularly well. I was saying, oh, it's lovely to see somebody sort of typecast in this film. And she said, what, a faded old has-been actress? I said, no, 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 no. I was backtracking like there was no tomorrow. Anyway, we had a lovely chat about this film. Uh, which is her and Pauline Collins and a, a super cast of people. And it's about a woman who was a big star. And then she and then she isn't a big star. But um, her lover dies and she wants to go to the funeral because there's people there from Hollywood and everything else. It's, it's a road trip, but it's a sweet road trip for people of a certain age. She wants to make herself look as good as possible. And I thought it was charming. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. Lovely little film. You're going to love it. You ladies are certainly going to enjoy it because it's just it's just very good. And you do get to see Joan for the first time ever at the end of the film without one of her famous wigs on, which I thought was I thought that was even braver. I never mentioned it. I never mentioned it at all. I didn't like to. So we do we do Joan Collins. We had a, a really lovely chat and you'll hear that this weekend for In Conversation. And then immediately Charlie Girling. From the editor, said, quick, 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 you've got Brian Cox to do downstairs. So we rushed downstairs and um, one of our other radio presenters from one of our sister stations, uh, Johnny, was doing an interview as well. And then they'd done various other interviews. So I go in to do my interview. Now, I'm such a big fan of Brian Cox. In fact, I was a fan of both of them yesterday. But Brian Cox in particular, because I wanted to know about space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. And I wanted to know, really... Where, where we where we came from, you know, there were so many questions, you know, what was the Big Bang? Can we still hear it? If we go out into space, will we eventually discover the Big Bang? Because when they were talking about something, it takes a billion years for something to reach us. So if you go back far enough, you could effectively see the birth of the Earth. That's what you could see. And so I said, so what are we saying? Are we saying that the Bible is not true? When God, you know, made heaven and earth, he did it in six days, rested on the seventh. Well, of course, he quite clearly didn't, because this goes back ages and ages ago. And so everything that we are emerged from droplets of water and little amoebas and different things like that. But I don't know what was there before. So this we unravel with Brian Cox. It's very interesting because he tells you things that whatever he says, you hang on every word. You hang. I mean, apart from the fact that I was having a bit of bit of a coughing fit. Because the cough yesterday was worse 
than it is this morning. I mean, I could barely get through a sentence. I've had this problem before. And now that James O'Brien's got it, and he was getting as frustrated as I was with it, but he bought me this chloroceptive, which was very sweet, actually. So I said to him, I'll give you the money. He said, no, 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 it doesn't matter. And it's about six quid, you know, and he's, he's not known for being that generous. And so, um, and then I said to him, what was it I asked him about the musical hour? There was a question. Oh, that's right. There's a question on there for the, for the musical, the magical hour, sorry. And, and the question is, when you go to sleep, if you've got a really bad chest and a cough, do you still cough or do you stop coughing. Will anybody know the answer to that? And he said, that's a very good question. Because when I woke up this morning, I wasn't coughing. I only woke up twice in the night, both to go to the toilet, which is about average for, for me, not being a brilliant diabetic, but very good blood pressure. And um, and so I did cough a few times. At one point during the Joan Collins interview, I couldn't stop the cough coming <coughs> like, <coughs> like that. And then it sort of gets and sort of develops. And uh, one of the lovely men with Joan came and patted me on the back, thinking I was probably going to pass out or something. It's just annoying. And if you're a broadcaster, you can well imagine it's very, very frustrating. But it was a lovely day. We did both of them and I got back and I thought, I just don't have the energy to do the things that I've got to do today. So I'm being I'm being lazy. I don't have an interview today so I can go home. I have got an interview on Wednesday, which is Omid Jalili. So I'll be chatting to him. Thursday, I've got the doctor, in which case, you know, I'm hoping this blooming sore throat will have gone by that time. I've tried everything. But when I got up this morning, I promised you, if I'd recorded myself, you wouldn't have heard anything. Because it was like, it just wasn't there. It's a, it's a bit like that, you know. And uh, and you try and get away with it, but you can't. We're obviously very susceptible in this business to picking up throat infections. I'm more susceptible than most in picking up. Sorry, it suits me. That's really nice for you to say so. <laughs> he's such a sweetie and um, <laughs> in the wrong kind of way he's like sort of a sweet shop you want the door to be shut and, uh, and locked permanently but it's it's just very frustrating and I, I always apologise I always say I'm terribly sorry but I can't do anything about it I mean I could stay at home but to be honest with you I'm far too mean to lose the money so I come in in fact one of my lady friends did write to me the other day and said makes you sound very sexy I said, there's one thing Steve Allen has never sounded, it's sexy. I don't do sexy. I mean, you know, look at me. Physically, I am a sex god. Uh, but generally speaking, people are not going to listen to my voice and go, that sounds very sexy. Obviously, with a throat infection, it makes it sound a little bit better. But I must be the only programme on the radio that can actually get ten minutes out of having a sore throat. Which is not bad, is it, really, when you think about it? Victory V's were very good for a sore throat. Actually, again, James O'Brien gave me some Fisherman's Friends yesterday to suck on. And uh, and, I did. and that made a little bit of a difference. Not a huge difference, but a little bit of difference. But at least he bought me the chloroseptic. I mean, that was nice, wasn't it? Over and above. Over and above. So I shall have to try and get some... Um, he likes Turkish delight. So the last time I brought it in, people ate it before he'd even got to it, poor soul. So I'm going to get him some Turkish delight uh, tomorrow, I think. Don't don't tell him it's supposed to be a surprise. You watch somebody. Steve Allen said he's going to get you some Turkish delight tomorrow. Miserable devil. You're the sort of person who kills it for little children at Christmas, aren't you? Father Christmas. Pfft, yeah, right. That's what people are like nowadays, isn't it, really? And Simon says, I used to be a voiceover artist. Whenever my voice became hoarse like yours, I knew I would eventually lose it. I've never... Uh, it's never actually gone. I get to this stage and it stays like this. So when you hear it first thing in the morning, it's very sore... Uh, but this time, it's actually... I think this will probably go today. I think so. I can, I can just tell where it's going to go because I'm experienced enough to sort of work out. The coughing bit's OK. I can cope with the coughing bit. It's just... It's a little cough because you kind of... <coughs> excuse me, build it up. The only thing that hurts is your chest because you're sort of... And then the worst thing was yesterday. I got sneezing on top of it. 
So you feel your chest is going in and out and in and out. And it just sounds awful. Sanderson's throat specific always keeps me working. Everybody's got different things, haven't they, that they uh, they take. For me, it was Manuka honey. Simon, Simon says you sound a bit like Barry White now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was tempted to do. <laughs> My darling, I can't get enough of your love, babe. Barry White. I never interviewed Barry White. I've always wanted to interview him, but of course we can't because he passed on. But he had one of those. He was an enormous man. But he had that deep, dark voice. It was just, you know, I've heard many things. And it was all sort of terribly deep and sexy. I used to think, when I started in radio, I must tell you, that I always wanted to have a deep, sexy, chocolate brown voice. Because I thought that would be the way forward. And I used to practice going, I'm Steve Allen on LBC. And, and I used to think, oh, that's really good. And then you suddenly realise that you can't have a conversation on a programme. Like that, you can't actually do a programme like mine with a very, very sexy voice because you end up sounding a little bit like Roger Moore. And it doesn't work. You just have to end up talking. And somebody said to me, just be yourself and you'll work. And actually, that was the best advice I ever gave myself, uh, which was, <laughs> always take notice of me. Don't listen to anybody else. Always take notice of me. That, you know, if you want to work, be yourself in radio. There's no point in sort of coming on trying to be somebody else you've heard because they've got a great voice. You just try and be yourself. And if that doesn't get you through, it obviously means you're rubbish. So you should get out of the business as quick as possible and let somebody in who's better than you. you know, that's how it works. I'm not, I'm not being cruel. I'm just being very kind. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Somebody said um, the other day, we were talking about um, Katie Price. Oh, she had to be disgusting on Loose Women yesterday. A real cheap person. And, uh, and I'm thinking, and you're criticising Frankie Boyle for being rude about Harvey and about you. And, uh, and then somebody wrote in and told me what, what the gag was, so they'd obviously viewed it as well. It's, uh, it's a case of, it's what's funny nowadays and what's not funny. You know, if you go and see Frankie Boyle, you know what you're going to get. You're not going to get a teddy bear's picnic, are you? Unless there's sort of some rampaging teddy bears that, uh, that you can sort of weave into the, to the, uh, to the scenario. And so that's why I really couldn't care less, actually. She was just tacky. She was talking... They had Sheila Ferguson on, talking about letters that she'd received and things like that. And uh, so Jordan, with that dreadfully naff, monotone voice. You know, go back. So you could get a lot of money for them. And and Sheila Ferguson looked at her with horror and goes, I wouldn't sell them. Why would I sell them? Get a lot of money for them, goes nasal woman. And uh, Sheila said, well, I'd never do that. And the audience agreed with her. So poor old Katie Price, as I say, the most boring woman in the world, the woman who's got no sense of fashion, the woman who keeps her current husband under the thumb and treats him like he's a five-year-old, just because he cheated on her with two far more interesting people. You know, two more people who perhaps bounced him around the barn, you know, like, wooey! You know, and then you have to go back to, oh, God, sex with Jordan again. You know how boring that can be. But she's, she's taken over the programme, and I'm afraid it's ruined it. It's ruined it. It's, uh, it was such a shame. There's no, no interest in the programme at all. And uh, what they need to do is find some, some intelligent people to put on it. Because at the moment, we are thin on the ground, ladies and gentlemen. I did see somebody on the programme, a little fat thing, sitting in a corner. I don't know what that was. It was somebody who's obviously, they sort of brought a, looked like a commode kind of chair in there. Very funny. But uh, as I say, nobody knows who they are anymore. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Up until a short while ago, we didn't even have any papers. The papers were late coming in because they were going to do bits about uh, Brexit. And as it turns out, not many of them did. They're more interested in work-shy Prince William, who skived off doing something with the whole royal family to go skiing. To go skiing. 
I mean, out of all the things, I mean, the papers have said it's not exactly that he's working very hard, is it? He's drawn up some plans. He hasn't drawn up anything at all. They've asked architects to do it. And when they contact Kensington Palace to find out what he was doing, they go, his diary is a private matter. Really? I'm obviously under the misapprehension we're paying for him. I'm assuming that's what we're paying for, but uh, it'd be nice to know that, you know, while the rest of the country was celebrating in the churches up and down the length and breadth of the land, he was bugging off doing skiing and drinking and all the rest of it. It's not good enough. I would have expected it from somebody else in the family. I could have expected it from anybody except him. He'd have been the one I'd have thought he definitely would have been there. But uh, obviously couldn't have flown off later that evening and gone out there, no. He's pictured with a very pretty um, blonde woman who's an Australian model. And um, he's been downing shots with her. Uh, do you think it's because he doesn't have a reputation of being a bit of a ladies' man? Do you think what he's going? He's going, um, yeah, I do go in blonde, you know, a couple of shots and things like that. You know, because it's Harry who's known as the sort of throw it about all over the place, whereas William is known as sit at home and just be dreary. And so here he is with this blonde Aussie model who the producer likes a lot. But there again, she's got one of those vacant faces. You know, where they sort of say, OK, darling, OK, can you just pull the strap down of your brassiere? OK, that's nice. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take your badly bleached hair. And can we just pull it in front of your eye? And apparently that's supposed to be sexy. So I tried it earlier on. People just laugh at me. You know, I pulled down the strap, you know, and they went, oh, that's nice, Steve, isn't it? And then I sort of pulled a bit of my hair to the front and so it draped over me. Nobody took a blind bit of notice. Blind bit of notice. I make the effort. And it doesn't work, does it, really? So ice work if you can get it. William on holiday, rest of the family doing doing work. I was to say, you could understand if he took the whole family, but he didn't. <coughs> Excuse me, it was just him and his chums, as I say, boozing it away while the rest of the uh, the country was sort of celebrating and his mother and grandmother and all the rest of the family were doing things in uh, in churches. Not very good at all. Dean says, it's a disgrace that Prince William wasn't with the royal family. He's an heir to the throne, for goodness sake. Not good enough. Well, that's what, I mean, obviously the Queen has no say in this sort of thing whatsoever. She's probably saying, where's William? Oh, he's off skiing. He he was owed a holiday. What do you mean owed a holiday? He hasn't done anything. Don't just come back from a blooming holiday. What, often another one? That's what they've started doing, isn't it? They've worked out if it's good enough for Prince uh, Andrew's daughters, it's good enough for them. But uh, not good enough. He should have been there. Should have been there. Steve Allen on LBC. Diana's ex-lover James Hewitt has denied that he's Harry's dad because for years this has plagued him and Harry where they've said, oh, you know, Harry, look at him. He's got ginger hair (coughs) and uh, he doesn't look anything like uh, Prince Charles. And you go, well, I don't know. And so for years and years, Harry's had to live with the fact that everybody is looking at him going, that's James Hewitt's. Now James Hewitt has had to deny it on a television programme in Australia, saying, no, I'm definitely not his father. Although, would he tell you if he was? What do you think? I don't, I don't know personally, but I know this rumour's been around for ages and ages. I thought what, what they'd actually do is they'd do a DNA test and then sort of have done with it all, and you know, once and for all. However, if it came back positive, that would be a slight disaster. Shall we hear what he said? This is him talking in Australia the other day. Are you Harry's father? No, I'm not. Why does that keep being repeated? It sells papers. Was that woman doing a voiceover for naughty movies or something? Is that how they speak in Australia? There was a woman doing the news on London Live the other day in London. I thought she was doing a voiceover for sort of erotic movies. It was sort of she sort of pouted into the camera. It was all very odd. So she she's played that again because I thought it was I thought she was doing an advert for a bar of chocolate or something. 
So this is the the Australian reporter in Australia, of course, and she's asking James Hewitt about that incident. Are you Harry's father? No, I'm not. Why does that keep being repeated? It sells papers. Why is she whispering? Is she in a? Is he sort of in a garage or something? Why is she whispering? This is bizarre, isn't it? Are Are you Harry's father? No, I'm not. Why do you think people keep saying it is? Sells newspapers. <laughs> End of story. <clears throat> Very bizarre, isn't it? I thought she was more bizarre than he was. I have interviewed James Hewitt before. I didn't ask him about it because I thought it was so so tedious. If people want to find out about it, well, then they'll do it. What would they do? Just supposing. Hypothetical situation. They do a DNA test and they discover that uh, that Harry is James Hewitt's son. I mean, in this ridiculous world, this ridiculous scenario, what would they do? Say, I'm terribly sorry, Harry. You have to leave the royal family. Have to get uh, have to get James Hewitt to support you. you imagine? Can you imagine? Ridiculous. The Australian interview sounded like James Stewart was in some pillow talk with us, says Tony. Wasn't it odd? So, are you Harry's father? I mean, it was just a bit peculiar. Just a little bit peculiar. Hewitt will not admit being uh, Harry's dad because of the maintenance back payment, says Mick. I don't think he is. Seriously, I don't think he is. You know, why? but as I say, you're never going to find out. It's never going to be publicly made, is it? Even if they do do a DNA test. I wonder if, he's, I wonder if Harry's seen him recently. I wonder if he has... Had uh, had contact with him because they can't just go out, can they? Every every so often, you've got to have sort of some sort of contact. And says, "I'm absolutely convinced that the royal family have done a DNA test on Harry. They'll know. We may never. I don't think they would bother. I seriously don't think they would bother. It's funny though, isn't it? It takes an Australian interviewer <coughs> to ask the question. You know, so are you Harry's father? You know, no. Uh, why? You know, why do people keep asking? I don't know because it's in the papers." You know, it doesn't go any. You can't go anywhere after that at all. You know, you can spend ages going. Well, they've both got the same colour hair, or they've got this. It just—it's the way it is, isn't it? It's the way it is. I'll be, as I say, I'd be very interested. I'd be very interested in seeing sort of DNA, but you're not going to have it. Actually, you're not going to have it. Uh, the documentary of Tony Robinson a few years ago, which told the story of today's royal family, and the fact they shouldn't even be. Well, they changed their names, didn't they? They were Saxe Coburg. And they changed to uh, Windsor. They're a German family. And they just changed it and then it went down the line. I mean, the uh, the Queen Mother was nobody, really. They were just sort of landed gentry. But she did manage to get the word Queen. Queen Elizabeth, the Queen's mother. So she got the title Queen into both things at all. They changed the, de- the, the name during World War I uh, because of this anti-German thing. But uh, they, they managed to do quite well out of it. But they are... <coughs> Excuse me, German family. So thank you, Chris in Brentwood. The programme traced the Queen's direct ancestor to be a gay sheep shearer in Auckland. <laughs> that makes it so funny, actually. So funny. Steve Allen on LBC. Oh, dear. Uh, I saw a picture of the Metro yesterday. And I now understand, Steve, why miserable as sin posh doesn't smile. She looks ghastly. See, I think she looks fine when she smiles. <laughs> I must be the only one. I've always said she looks great when she smiles. She doesn't like the look, I think, because she suddenly realised that she's getting old now. But when you see the picture of her in the paper for today, um, you're going to realise that her sense of fashion has just disappeared completely. I mean, this item doesn't fit. It looks awful. It's another pair of ridiculously uh, huge bell-bottom type trouser things with a jacket that doesn't fit it just looks awful just looks awful it just doesn't 
<laughs> you'll see the picture of the paper today and you'll all be going, what the hell is that? It's another bad outfit. You can't do anything about it. You just have to accept that um, somebody says here she turns heads. Of course she does. The outfit is so dated. Put it this way. Wearing men's suits was done by Coco Chanel donkeys years ago. This is a suit that doesn't fit. It's not tailored. The trousers, because she's stick thin. I mean, she is emaciated. If Colonel Sanders had discovered her before chickens, he wouldn't have bothered. He'd have gone into another business. She's too thin. You know, she's got stick thin little legs. She's got, that's why she has to keep having her boobs enhanced. It's because she disappears. She turns sideways. She looks like she's wearing two buttons. It's a dreadful outfit. Absolutely dreadful. It just, you know, this just doesn't even look... I mean, doesn't she realise that it doesn't fit? I mean, it was as bad as when we saw her wearing another pair of trousers, which didn't fit either. And then the worst outfit of all was poor Brooklyn Beckham, where they dressed up like the prized turkey, stuck him in a jacket or a coat thing, which looked like your grandmother's eiderdown, and that didn't fit either. You know, what they need to do is... Somebody should have said to, to Beckham when he was being photographed, Brooklyn, they've gone... I'm sorry, dear, I don't want to be rude. What are you wearing? You know, because he, he just would have stood there, smiling. And they get, what is it? Because it doesn't fit, does it? Don't they have one in your size? She's also wearing sunglasses in New York. And we know it's been snowing all week. Probably find the glare of it is too much for her, the glare from the snow. Uh, but she goes out there because she thinks it makes her look mysterious. Is that business making any money at the moment? How much is it? Oh, has it got a price on it? Here we go. Uh, oh, you can get one like it. I mean, she does look like somebody stuck her in a paper bag. I don't, uh, I don't quite understand where you'd wear these things. Apparently, ultimately, it's Victoria's epic confidence which makes this look work. Who writes this garbage, honestly? What do people write? I mean, you can get it for about 60 quid. River Island have got a wide lapel open jacket. Or Zara faux suede blazer. Or Max Mara's cotton jacket at 665. I think that's way too expensive. That's ridiculous. You don't want to spend any more than that. Go to Primark, get something cheap and cheerful. But uh, unfortunately, when the wind blows, you suddenly realise that poor old Victoria Beckham's outfits, they're just... I think she goes... I mean, the snow is piled up behind her and she's wearing dark glasses. Nobody else is wearing dark glasses. She's wearing what is effectively a summer suit and everybody else is wrapped up with coats and all the rest of it. Is this bloke about to mug her here with the, with the long hair or is he sort of... Is he holding the door open? Because he needs to pull the flaps out of his pockets. He looks so badly dressed, doesn't he? Hello, Victoria. You got, got money for a tea, have you, love? Big fan of the family. Big fan. Lo love all your record. Have you got, got some money for me, love? And Victoria's going, I'm Victoria Beckham. It is a very odd look, isn't it, really? But as I say, when you're thin like that, what do you do? But it's the fact the snow's piled up and she's still got dark glasses on. They never suit her the dark glasses. Pretty girl, pretty face, smiles nicely. Come on. Get over yourself. Goodness sake, Stephen, honestly. You've got to stop doing it. No, you can't stop doing it, Stephen. Why? Because they told you to wear sunglasses. Why? Because you've got cataracts. That's why. Go on, blimey. Leading Britain's conversation. LBC. With Steve Allen. You're only young once. You're only young once. Producer bought me a lovely bottle of toffee vodka, uh, which he thought I was going to take on the Eurostar. You're joking, of course. I'm not sharing that with anybody. Far too mean. But I did get a lovely book on Lille, which is just as well, because John Warrington sent me a couple of links about Lille. But the producer went one better and got me a book on Lille. So I shall read that on the train over. And uh, it'll be quite nice. I love a train. I love a train. Although, strangely enough, actually, Darren uh, just said to me, he said, oh, you're off to, to Lille. I said, yes. He said he, he wouldn't mind, you know, when the other half comes down. They could go over to Paris. And I said, that'd be good. You just get the Eurostar. It's only up the road from you. He said, no, we'll take the car. 
taxi. Do you want to drive around Paris? They're nutters. They're nutters. We we drove years ago. Dale Winton and I drove from from London to the south of France. We drove to Cannes, and. You need the um, the Michelin guy to get you round Paris because you're looking for Route du Soleil. Uh, so they, they don't put Cannes this way; they go Route du Soleil. The only thing, you, the two things you'll remember about France is one: no matter where you are in the country, there's a signpost in a village that points to Paris, and we'll tell you how many miles it is. And uh, and the other thing is that every car that we met coming back as we were driving down to Cannes, came back in various states of battering, broken windows, everything. The French are mad drivers, mad drivers. Every car was sort of really, really battered. But Dale played a trick on me. And his little trick was to be driving along down these little country... How we got to these country roads? This is long before sat-nav or anything like that. And we're driving down, and all of a sudden he went, we've run out of petrol. And I went, you're joking, of course. He said, no, we've run out of petrol. And, and I go, well, what are we going to do? And I, was, I used to get really sort of depressed about things like that. And then he put his foot in the accelerator and go, only joking, only joking. And I go, that's so funny, so funny. And we were going through France. We go through this little village. And he goes, oh, we've run out of petrol, run out of petrol. And I went, I've had enough of this. Do not do, do this silly. He said, no, we've genuinely run out of petrol. And we ground to a halt. We had run out of petrol. So I, I've got a picture at home of the car... He's sort of bowing in front of it, praying that all of a sudden it's going to burst back to life. In the end, a farmer with a tractor and a trailer turns up and we sit on the back of it. You can imagine, honestly, you know, two sort of bright young boys sitting on the back of a farm trailer in the middle of France. It was like a scene out of Ab Fab. And eventually takes us to the village and through sort of various broken French, we managed to get a can to get some petrol and to get back out to the car again. It was all a bit of a, a disastrous journey, but can was lovely. We liked the south of France. We He knew somebody who had um, a flat on the Croisette and she gave it to us for free. For two weeks, we had this flat on the Croisette, which was a two-bedroom... No, I'll tell a lie, it was a one-bedroom flat. How we cope with that, I'll never know. But anyway, we did have a one-bedroom flat with a shower. And on the, on the second day we were there, we hung all our swimming costumes out on the balcony. They were banging on the door within 20 minutes. No, it's forbidden for... A different country, I know. But uh, different, cause she spoke Italian, this woman. And it was just a bit like Mario. And they sort of, uh, no, you know, have... Uh, anyway, well, it doesn't matter. So we had to take the swimming costumes in. So we had to dry everything inside. And we went with... Uh, we met up with some friends of his from, from a station in Nottingham. And uh, this particular man... I won't identify him too much because his life came to a bit of a... Sort of a strange conclusion. Anyway, um, he goes over there with the kids and the wife... Now, all the beaches in the south of France are topless. Now, if you're British, this comes as, you know, a, a little bit of a shock because you're not used to people bearing their breasts anyway. So this family sit down, this friend of his from Nottingham, and his wife takes her top off. He goes mad. Absolutely. So I, I've actually got a picture of her topless on the beach. I mean, for no personal reason. It's just that it was sort of one of those funny... He went mad, but it was so hot in the south of France that you could not walk on the pavements, on the sidewalk, without wearing your flip-flops because it was so boiling hot. But the one thing you did notice, even after a day, when you took your little Speedos off, because I was wearing Speedos, <laughs> hold that image, and uh, when you took them off, you literally had white marks. You know, like people say, look, look, brown, brown, look, white marks. And we had that. But uh, we didn't eat. We only ate out once in a restaurant. The rest of the time we just went to the boulangerie and we got, you know, our bread from the from the other place. Some giant peaches, peaches the size of footballs out there. But it was very nice. It was very lovely. And we saw all sorts. I've got a lovely picture. We saw the first day we were there, a white Rolls Royce on the Quasette. 
you might remember who this person is, because everything was gold-plated on it. The, uh, the flying lady at the front was gold-plated, the handles, and it was owned by a guy called John Bloom. John Bloom was the, known as the washing machine man. He gave free washing machines out to women all over the country. But unfortunately, they were tied into agreements... And he made a lot of money about it. He, he, he became a little bit of a little bit of a rogue over there. But in in the south of France, we saw a couple making love on a bench. I mean, that is just ridiculous. You know how small benches are. How is that possible? How they never fell off, I'll never know. We're walking through this little sort of dark park at night, and uh, there's a couple making love on a bench. It was it was quite an experience. The south of France, it really was. It was a it was a place to go to, place to go to. Anyway, so I've got that off my chest. So in Lille, look out, Lille, here we come. I don't know what we can do in Lille. The weather forecast isn't brilliant. It's not brilliant, but it's, uh, it's passable. And so because I've got a nice book, which I shall read on the train, it'll come up with some restaurants, so we shall do that. Which is very useful, isn't it? Because it's only an hour and a half away. You can go there. And, uh, and it's doable. Whereas years ago, we'd go, mm. I remember the first time I went on holiday to Spain, when Spain was cheap for the Brits. I mean, cheap. I know it's fairly cheap now, but goodness me, it was cheaper then. We did a weekend for about eight quid, something like eight pounds each. That was including the flights. We stayed in a place called Calelia, and it was a little cheap hotel, but we didn't care. We didn't know what a posh hotel was. So me and my friend Terry Hackwell, we stayed out there and it was lovely. It was really, really nice. Really, really nice. So uh, anyway, so I'm sharing my birthday with you. Years ago, of course, you didn't have to work on your birthday. They would sort of give you the time off and you'd go home and you'd wait and your friends would come round to be a party with jelly and ice cream and a magician and, and stuff like that. So I tend not to, uh, to do that. I tend to work most of the time. So you will find me, you know, you can turn on most of the time, whether you recognise the voice or not, uh, remains to be seen. But it's, it's, I tend to find on this programme, the more you chat... You know, the easier it becomes. Well, yesterday it wasn't, because yesterday we had a horrendous start to the programme. I thought, God, my boss is going to be on the phone to me later. Steve, you don't sound well. You want to make sure you're all right. And um, having been, been to the doctor, I did feel a lot better about everything. And in fact, yesterday was a lovely day. I was just trying to remember to do everything, because I had to condense all my... Because I normally use carrier bags. As anybody around here will tell you, Steve Allen... And, you'll, you could look under most, most of the desks in this building. There'll be carrier bags and there'll be Steve Allen's. I am Edna, the inebriate woman. I've got these bags all over the place. So I transferred all my stuff, and I suddenly realised that when I go away, even if it's for a day, the bag is taken up with medicine. I've got sprays. I've got, I've got needles. I've got injections. I've got all sorts of things. Oh, you'll like those chocolate ones in there. You'll like those, those chocolate things. You'll like those. You had it, yeah. Aren't they amazing? I, I bought those. I have had one this morning, two this morning, I think, actually. What it is, it's chocolate. It's a bit hard, but don't worry, because once you've bitten into it, it's fine. And it's mango with coconut milk in the middle. I'd never seen them before. They're just, aren't they delicious, with Belgian chocolate? Is Lille in Belgium or France? I can't remember now. I can't. Definitely France, is it? Thank you. And it's definitely the Euro. Definitely the Euro. That's all right. <laughs> I must remember... I've taken a charger with me. Obviously, I've got this little tiny bag, but it's got loads of stuffings. I went and bought some more cough mixture the other day. And so I shall read my little book on the train. I'll have a cup of tea and I'll be as happy as Larry. I'm going to buy a bottle of water. Apparently, producer tells me that you can take booze on the train to drink. So he very unwisely got me this toffee vodka. I think I'm sharing that thing again. You know, if it was Prosecco, I might have taken it on there. We could have had some, some booze going over. But uh, I'm just looking forward to a nice sort of nice, pleasant journey. Actually, of course, it's a day today, isn't it? Because William and uh, Kate are going to Paris. Hope they're not going to clog up some pancreas station. I don't want that kind of malarkey going on. Because otherwise, somebody have to go, excuse me, sir, can you stand to one side? 
Steve Allen's travelling. You know, do that kind of thing. Listen, you were on holiday a minute ago, pal. He's worked, all right? He's done more official visits than you've had at dinners. So the Australian producer buys me a gift as well. He goes out of his way to buy a card that's got 70 Today written on it. You know, but inside, I'm going to read it to you because he's, he's obviously thought about it. And so the wording was like a vintage champagne or a mature fine wine. And he's crossed out champagne and put Prosecco. And he did, he did get me a bottle of Prosecco, which is, which is going on the, uh, the Eurostar today. And, uh, and some socks, some Patrick's Day socks. And they says, dear Steve, your olders. It's difficult to make out this writing under this lighting in here, but I think you get the gist. He says, please don't die on air. Great working with you, exclamation mark. I think he's got a doll at home, a Steve Allen doll, and he puts pins in it every day, don't you? But, you know, here we go, another blooming pin for Steve Allen. And uh, they signed it, the Australian producer. But he's written it in his other... He's, he's right-handed, but he's written it with his left hand. So that if this ever becomes a court case, and I go, well, listen, he was sort of, you know, he was writing me these sort of little love notes. And they'll go, well, that's not his writing, is it? I go, it blooming well is. And I go, no, I don't think it is. We've had it analysed. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. I like socks as well, even though I do throw socks away, not special socks. I've got lots of special socks at home, which I don't throw away. On the other hand, I don't wear them either. I sort of leave them, they're piling up. I've got all sorts of different things, some with my name on, all sorts of things, which are quite like. It's quite nice being however old I am today. Well, I don't know, there's no point lying to you, is there? 52. OK, so there I've been honest and come right out with it. Somebody wrote to me the other day and went, why are you lying? You're over 60. And you go, listen, what does it matter? It's just a blooming number, isn't it? Or in my case, it's a fairly high number. I don't like it, actually. I've come to the conclusion that I really don't... I mean, I'm not, I don't get upset about it. I'm not one of these people because I look, I look fantastic for my age. Inside, of course, I died about five years ago. But, I mean, externally, I think I'm actually not bad for my age. Compared to some of the people on the station. I mean, there's some, there's some people on the station, they look much older than me. Much older than me. They haven't got the energy that I've got. Not that I've got the energy anymore, but I've got one of these sprays. The doctor gave me a spray the other day, which I'm very pleased about. It's an angina spray, so if I get, if I get my chest pains and all the rest of it, then we can, we can sort it out. And uh, south of France, <clears throat> uh, you reminded me of a wonderful, unforgettable postcard my younger daughter, then aged six, sent to her friend. And um, Mark says, uh, Dear Megan, we're having a nice time on holiday. It's hot. Today we saw a dead jellyfish and a man with no clothes on. Love, Lilia. Man with no clothes on. You get a lot of that in France, don't you? A lot of that. Somebody says, are you really going on a holiday? I can scarcely believe it. Actually not. Really a holiday. It's just a day out for lunch, isn't it? Now, I mean, not unusual to drive an hour and a half for lunch, is it? An hour and a half for lunch. So, same going on the uh, on the train. I wonder if it's a steam train. It won't be a steam train, would it? I do like a steam train. I might get uh, next time round, I think. If I make it to 60... <laughs> anyway, if we make it to another birthday, we might, uh, we might try a steam train somewhere. Uh, Tony says, I found the French touchy that I didn't attempt to speak in French instead of uh, bonjour, a good moaning. Uh, Portugal aren't as, uh, aren't as touchy, says Tony. No, I shouldn't think so. Uh, but we should make the effort, shouldn't we, to try and speak something. The producer very, very cleverly sent me a, you know, a thing. And on the cards that he's actually done, he, um, he sort of did it in French and then in English. Like I didn't understand English, you know. And, uh, and to all of you, thank you very much indeed for the, for the gifts. Alinka, thank you. And, uh, and then I got a big bag delivered yesterday with lots of different presents in it, which we will get round to uh, later on. But thank you very much indeed. It's very kind. 
seriously, you don't have to. You don't have to do things like that. But it's very nice. But even the uh, even the Australian producer coughed up for three pairs of socks, a nice card, and a bottle of prosecco. Main producer, I get uh, the book on Lille, which I'm I'm definitely taking with me because I think it's a lovely present, and uh, and the toffee vodka. You see, people listen to this program and they go, "What should we buy, Steve Allen? Let's buy him a bottle of red." Nobody's ever bought me red because everybody would, would know who listened to the program that I don't drink red. Red anything, actually, apart from Ribena, which I quite like, although I haven't even had one of them. I might buy a Ribena today. <laughs> I've got a thing about cold drinks at the moment. Steve Allen on LBC. Ginger Spice. That's Jerry the Halliwell, now Knee Horner, I think, or something. Anyway, she wants loved ones. That'll be the first problem. Uh, to listen to her music at her funeral which I'm surprised, actually, nobody overnight was going with, what music would you like at your funeral? Because people have things... When I went to my auntie's funeral some years ago, she'd requested certain music. I'm having the 1812 Overture. I'm going out with a bang. I want to bring in a band from Mexico, or from Spain, actually, and they're young musicians, and they play the 1812 Overture, like of which you've never heard before. You know, what I don't want to do is have at my funeral, and they go, and here's one of Steve's favourite songs... And through it all, she offered me... No, thank you. I don't want angels anywhere near it. I mean, everybody has angels, don't they? It's, it crops up. Yeah, or well, my way. At last, the end is near. A little bit late for that one, isn't it? You know, at last, the end has arrived. I don't know what I would want. Actually, at my funeral, nothing really. I just want to hear sobbing. That's all I want to hear, sobbing. And I want an open coffin, I've decided. I really want to upset everybody. And I want to make sure that I look really good. You know, if I have to have a complete makeup job, hair, everything, you know, stick a toupee on me, do anything you like, because it doesn't really matter, does it? But that's that's the fun thing that people want at, at funerals. She wants her music played at her funerals. God, I hope it's going to be short. I'd hate it if they went through the catalogue. I'd be sitting there forever and a day going, are we never going to get to the end of this? I always think they're terribly depressing funerals, and I don't want them to be depressing, but you can't help it, can you? You sit there, and I've sat, you know, at so many funerals over the years, and the, and the one thing you want is you sort of think, if this person was still alive, they'd be so thrilled that it was a great turnout for them. You know, a really, really good... I mean, I did go to... Well, I can't tell you because it identifies the person. But I did go to a funeral which I thought was particularly sad because it's a little bit like the George Michael funeral. I think it's going to be... You're going to have the George Michael funeral. The family are going to organise the funeral. Whereas, in fact, the boyfriend, I think, might get pushed to one side. And yet he was the person who shared the last four years of his life with him. And that's what happens in a lot of gay relationships. If they, I mean, different in George Michael's case, because everybody knew he was gay. But there's lots of gay people out there whose families do not know that they're gay. And, you know, so when it comes to the end of life, you ask any of the gay organisations, they will tell you that they get people on the phone in tears saying, I was shoved at the back of the church. And yet I just spent 30 years of my life with this person and the family didn't want anything to do with it. A friend of mine used to have a very good friend who worked on the buses uh, in a certain part of London and he was gay. But the family obviously didn't like the idea that he was gay. Uh, this friend of mine was also gay and very friendly with him. And this, this friend said to him, he said, listen, when I die, just pick anything you want out of, out of the house, you know, lighters or anything like that. And so he said, oh, that's nice. Anyway, this, uh, this guy subsequently died. And immediately the family took over. And this friend of mine uh, was in the house and the sister came and said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm just taking a lighter. She said, you're taking nothing. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, the person's wishes. That's why this story in the paper today, which sort of started yesterday, is so interesting because it's somebody's last, last will and testament. And now 
People challenge it. What do you mean your mother didn't leave you anything? Well, she obviously didn't think she wanted to leave you anything. That's what you do. Well, I challenge it. And so she challenged it and she got some money. And the charities who were the beneficiaries of the will didn't get as much money. So they challenged it. And then they took away the money from the first one. But they left her with 50 grand, which wasn't 50 grand that she should have had because her mother didn't want her to have any money. You know, and I'm beginning to wonder whether or not your last will and testament is actually legal and binding. Because if you remember a short while ago, that classic case of Beatrix Potter, she'd bought up loads of land all around where she wrote all of her stories about Jemima Puddleduck and everything else. And then the trust started selling off land. And you think, but wait a minute, that's what she bought. She bought this to make sure that view was uninterrupted. But of course, it's worth money. And that's what people do now. They form trusts. And the family don't get as involved as maybe they should do. And consequently, things change. I would hope that, you know, when I come to the end of my life, Thursday, and um, <laughs> week Thursday, you know, you, you would sort of think that somebody would actually adhere to it. They would, they would follow your, your advice. That's what I want to do. You know, if I want to sort of, you know, have all my money chewed up in a, in a, a snow machine and scattered, well, then so be it. But, of course, somebody's going to complain about it, aren't they? They're going to be saying, but Steve always promised me this and that. Because you suddenly realise, as you go through your life, how much stuff you've got. You know, I've got a friend of mine who's, who's in radio who buys property. Only young. I bet he's not done a will. Whereas you must do a will because you've got to, got to make sure it goes to who you want it to go to. So that's, that's the only advice. My advice would be, if you're, if you're over the age of 40, depending on what your health is like, do a will. It doesn't take too long. You just make a list of who you want to benefit, and you put a percentage down. You work out roughly, you know, what you think you're worth. If you own a property, well, then you're laughing because you're going to be sitting on 200,000 minimum in London. You know, out of town, it might be somewhat different, but that's 200,000 pounds. I mean, what you do is you make a list, you check it twice, you're going to find out who's naughty or nice, and then this big man with a big white beard pops down your chimney and goes, I'm having that... And so it ends, ladies and gentlemen. Steve Allen on LBC. The police. Hello, hello, hello. What have they been looking at? They've investigated eight UFO sightings in the last three years, proving once and for all that there is no such thing as little green men coming in little aircraft from another planet. It's not possible. It just is not possible. OK, and you'll hear that from the expert this weekend on In Conversation. As Brian Cox will be telling you that uh, when I ask him straightforwardly, you know, do you think that there is an inhabited planet? He said, no. It's as simple as that. There are no little sophisticated human beings who built a spacecraft to come and visit us or two old biddies in Arkansas or some old biddy in darkest Essex. There is nothing like that at all. Crop circles, as we know, I know that many of you, three, uh, would like to believe in crop circles and it is the work of aliens. These are people who drink and they have problems and uh, they're generally on medication. And uh, in fact, Reg Presley from the Trogs believes in crop circles. So when they uh, reused his record, wild thing, you may uh, that the profits of that went into more more crop circle research. Luckily, he's got a bit quiet uh, because crop circles are made by students with a piece of graph paper, paper, um, a broomstick handle, a piece of rope, and a torch. Okay. End of the, you know, there is no aircraft hovering over a field in Wiltshire making funny signs. I mean, sweet though it might be, no, it's students tramping down the corn. That's what it is. Because otherwise people from miles around would be seeing 
these uh, these people tramping them down. I'm sure, listen, if you want to believe in things like that, believe in them. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I'm just telling you, you know, that it's, it's not little aliens from another planet, it's students. And then, of course, Area 51. What are they not telling us? Yes, people from another planet coming in. Apparently, somewhere, they have an alien that they took from a spaceship. No, they haven't. OK, let's send it there, shall we? So much easier. Isn't it funny, actually? Nice that the aliens land in the middle of nowhere to get to Area 51. I mean, could you really keep it quiet? Could you really keep it quiet? We've got an alien and uh, we've got to, we're not going to tell anybody. Why? Because it would spark panic. It wouldn't. Just stick it in a museum, for God's sake. We've all seen these films where these things come back to life and they all look a bit sort of strange creature-ish with long arms. Work with people like that. Uh, Steve, Anton Deck proved aliens exist. I'm sure they made a film about it. They did the, um, that, uh, whatever it was called, Roswell, didn't they? That uh, alien autopsy or something like that. And uh, let's face it, you don't really believe that Anton Deck exists, do you? Come on. Anton Deck don't exist. They are spitting image puppets, OK, that have taken on another life. What they've done is they found a couple of dwarves who will put the rubber suits on and go out and become Anton Deck. Their career finished years ago with, you know, let's get ready to rumble, let's get ready to... They don't exist. And uh, I don't think anybody's ever proven that aliens have ever existed. There's been some very good... I like that programme. What was it years ago? Was it Starship Troopers or something? Where these creatures came out of a spaceship and they were all... A spaceship and they were all like long arms and they sliced people. I think it was Starship Troopers. Very good. Very good film. Quite, uh, quite frightening. Quite frightening. But I mean, I enjoyed it, but I don't believe a word of it. I don't believe... I've appealed to all sorts of people. Um, you know, if you are an alien and you're listening to this programme... No, that'll mean it doesn't mean anything to you. That means something to people listening. They'll now be going. He speaks our language. Watch this. <clears throat> they know what that means. Be, if they don't land and dematerialize in this radio studio in a few minutes, there's no justice at all. I've had a message from Mars. Apparently, they're on their way to Earth. They want to get friendly with me. Oh, we don't do things like that at my age, I promise you. Uh, Steve, I don't know about aliens, says Stuart, but I, I can tell you that my dog certainly responded to your Martian speak. <laughs> Bizarre, isn't it? Mira says you sound more hoarse than alien. It's not very nice, is it? I've not been nasty to you at all. I will from, uh, from now on. Uh, Lee says your alien voice sounds like Spike Milligan in the goons. So if there is a planet of spikes, they'll think you're the leader. I know, I'm sure it'll, it'll, seriously, it'll, it'll resonate with, uh, with somebody. Those are all the highlights I've got time for this morning. Don't forget, I'm back live from five o'clock tomorrow morning and we'll be with you for the 4am spike all next week too. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.